Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution. And my guest today is one of the most powerful and creative artists, activists, political activists, spiritual activists that I have ever met. It is a great honour and a privilege always to talk to Sophie Miller, who set up the Red Rebels in Cornwall, is a co-founder of Ocean Rebellion, which does for the seas what Extinction Rebellion does for the land. We spoke together just ahead of the G7 summit, which is taking place in her home county of Cornwall. And Sophie has put together a suite of actions that is breathtaking in its audacity and creativity and ability to get the message home to everyone, from the media to the police to, we sincerely hope, the politicians and the people of the world. So this, again, is the first of two parts, because we realised as we were recording that we need to go back and talk to Sophie about how it went, about what she actually did of all the things that she planned, and how it was received, whether we have, in fact, made the change happen that needs to happen at a time when it has to happen. So people of the podcast... Please do welcome Sophie Miller. So Sophie Miller, welcome back to the Accidental Gods podcast. You are down near a coast because I can hear seagulls in the background. Tell us where you are and why this week. Hi, Amanda. Lovely to see you again. I'm in St. Ives in Cornwall. I live in Cornwall, but not in St. Ives. And I'm over here because it is the G7 summit in Carbis Bay, which is just over the hill from where I am. I can almost see it. <laughs> With the seagulls in between you and here. With the seagulls in between, yes. It starts this evening yeah. and um, goes on for the next three days. So I'm here to do some creative activism. Brilliant. We'll talk about that in a moment. I, I read something last night that said that Boris Johnson flew from London to Cornwall, which I think is probably all we need to know about his actual connection to what's going on. Absolutely. So before we look at the actual creative activism, what do you see the G Summit as being for, from the viewpoint of the people who are there, the the people that the press are taking notice of, not the ordinary people, but the world leaders, from your understanding of what they think they're there for, what is it? Well, that's a good question. I have what I think they're there for and what I hope they're there for, and they're two different things, as you can well imagine. I think they're there for discussing how to maintain business as usual and how to maintain global wealth and stability by using the economy and wealth and um, business as usual, basically all the things that we need to let go of and move into a new way of being. My hope would be that they're here to discuss 
um, climate change, how to discuss green economies, how to stop business as usual and move to something more positive. Hmm. I think there's a possibility that maybe some of them are, but I don't hold out a lot of hope, actually. No, although I was listening to Della Duncan the other day, who's been on this podcast, was one of my very wonderful tutors at Schumacher. And she was saying that last year, the Biden administration reached out to her and asked her to put them in touch with Kate Rayworth of Donut Economics. And Kate then went and gave a presentation to the Biden administration. And it doesn't mean they understood and it doesn't mean they took it on board, but at least they are aware that there are other ways of doing economics. And she will have impressed upon them this concept that we need an economy that is working for people and planet, not people and planet working for an economy, and that growth or not growth is not the question anymore. So, and that's the President of the United States. You know, if it was Iceland or New Zealand, then we know nobody would listen to them. But maybe they will. I, I think it's not worth giving up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing to note that that did happen. And yeah. imagine that happening, I don't know, three or four years ago. It, it just wouldn't have occurred in the previous administration. And it has happened. And Kate is amazing. And it's that's quite profound, actually, to think that, yeah. that the Biden administration has actually heard that and seen that. And hopefully that will filter through at some level. And even... The knowledge that that has gone out there might mean that other leaders have have looked for it and have found out about it and have understood maybe not through actually having presentations with Kate, but through research. So that message is going out there and that is quite a profound message for them to receive. So maybe there is more hope than I think. Yeah, well, I think I'd like to find the hope is is possibly where I'm at. But the fact that they actually asked, it wasn't that they tripped over her, that she insisted she went, they asked, which meant they will have looked at the TED Talk first and things, so she will have been able to take off Mm. there. So a few weeks ago, we had the wonderful people from the Children's Fire came on the podcast to discuss what they were doing to build an activist movement towards this moment, towards the G7. So before you, again, go into exactly what you're there for, is there, I, I am imagining, a whole tribe of really creative activist people congregating around St. Ives and and the Bay. Is that happening? Are you bumping into activists from all over the world who are full of creative ideas? Well, I haven't bumped into people from all over the world, but I've got a lot of people here from across the UK who have all been arriving over the last few days, which is really lovely. It's like having your family come home for Christmas, I suppose, in a way. It's really, it's a, it's a lovely joy sort of sitting on the, the bench last night down by the harbour with, with lots of them just chatting. So, yes, there are lots of people here and lots of creative ideas flowing as well for um, COP26. We've already been talking about that, how it will be great to get together and build on what we do now here for the future for that. Yes. So for people listening who are not familiar, COP26 is the conference of all the parties, which is effectively, each year it's it's labelled by the city where it happens. So the last one was Paris, where the Paris Agreement, actually the Paris Accord, because it wasn't an agreement, was, was hammered out. And this time it's happening in Glasgow, which happens to be my home city, for which I am really quite proud, although I suspect that Johnson is going to just cover it in English flags and deny the fact that it's actually in Scotland. He also, if he gets his way by then, 
and this is jumping a bit ahead to where I'd wanted to go later on, but we're here, so let's go with it. If he gets his police bill through, fundamentally, being a member of XR will leave one open to a potentially 10-year prison sentence. He's completely changing the game, I think. So if Johnson gets his way, the police and criminal evidence bill, or whatever it is that they're calling it to keep the Daily Mail happy, is effectively, as far as I can tell, targeted directly at XR. So if you, for instance, prevent the distribution of Murdoch's newspapers, or sit in a street, or do anything that causes and a direct quote, annoyance, which as far as I can tell, could be walking down the street, talking into your mobile phone, or even just walking down the street, looking like your member of XR, you could be liable to 10 years in prison, which does, I think, seems to me, fundamentally change the dynamics of the activism that XR has been engaged in so far. And it might be up and running by the end of the year when COP26 is happening. So I'm wondering how is that affecting the conversations? Because presumably everybody knows that this is coming down the line. Yeah, uh, good question, Amanda. I think it's just going to make things incredibly difficult for the police for a start. I mean, as you say, mobile phone or megaphone or, I don't know, middle-aged ladies standing there handing out leaflets and shouting, whatever, the prisons are going to become incredibly full of all of us if it gets um, enacted how it's described. Yes. From my perspective, from the creative activism perspective, it won't change what I do. I'm still going to do it. So um, for me, uh, yeah, there's no, whether the policing bill goes ahead or not, I just keep on doing what I do. If I get arrested, it's just what happens. Um, It feels too important to stop. But I, my experience of working with the police down here, obviously, it's, it's a very heavy policing situation with all the world leaders here. And there's, there's um, I can't remember, I think, isn't it 6,000 police or something coming? Really? Um, from, wow. Yeah, there's huge numbers. There's a, they've um, got a cruise ship in Falmouth Bay that has come all the way from Estonia to house about 2,000 officers. We don't have our own cruise ships? Well, that's a really good point, Manda, because funnily enough, we've got quite a lot of them down here. We've got some very big ferries just like sitting in in the river down in Falmouth, which have been sitting there for ages. So you'd think that um, in terms of like carbon emissions and um, socks and knocks, they would not be bringing a cruise ship all the way from Estonia. Apart from anything else, the whole Johnsonian thing of of Great Britain and wanting to prove that, why why would you not have stuff with British flags pasted all over them? Why would you want cruise ships? I would be very interested to know what happens in something that is under the Estonian flag. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But the emissions on it are ridiculous. It's the equivalent of 6,000 police driving to the moon and back. It's, it's huge. So anyway, that's like we've got a lot of police here and um, they're, they're lining the, the street from St. Ives up to Carbis Bay. I think there's one by every lamppost with big guns and all sorts. But 
the um, the local police have been very keen to liaise with us as much as possible and facilitate what we're doing. And um, we've had lots of conversations with them. They drove us around to look at all the sites that we were going to do creative things at. Yesterday morning, we did a creative action very early at dawn on the beach here with Boris Johnson in bed with um, one of our big oil head people that we've created so we had someone in a boris johnson mask and someone um in an oil head mask and first of all they were cozying up with a cup of tea in a, a nice cast iron bed with sort of brown silky oily looking sheets and then they they started um becoming slightly more uh, intimate with each other should we say and um we ended up with a full-on bonking that's what the, the lo- how the local paper Brilliant. and the local paper very bravely printed all the pictures and wow. Um, the full press release so uh, yeah we had a photographer from Getty who um, Getty wanted to censor some of the pictures because the uh, the oil head has got a kind of a rig in it that can make you make the person wearing it either vomit oil if they press a button or they can look like they're peeing oil or ejaculating oil so we had some um, oil ejaculations going on all over Boris Johnson so anyway um, it was obviously it was it was it was quite comic and grotesque and also it is very much what is happening you know the british government are very much in bed with the fossil fuel industry so it was quite a, a blatant um not very subtle visual representation of that but the police wanted to facilitate us doing that and we actually had a line of police all watching what we were doing they were lining up on the harbour wall um uh, watching so there wasn't any kind of no kind of confrontation about it. My partner, Rob, uh, made videos to send to the anti-terrorist squad to show what all the equipment that we're using is because the, the oil heads have got batteries in them and, you know, oil cans and things that could look quite scary if you're mounting, a, if you're worried about bombs and things. So we've decided to, to be fully open about it and um, they're facilitating. And from that has come, um, they're quite interested in what Ocean Rebellion are doing and we've actually created some slides for their PowerPoint presentation which they're giving to the local, to the maritime police who are coming in to explain what Ocean Rebellion are doing and the background to Ocean Rebellion and how important it is to protect the sea and why it's important to facilitate our protests. So, I don't know, things are shifting on many levels. It's not there's obviously there's the, the kind of the power structures which which are uncomfortable but lots of people have have discomfort with it i was replying to a facebook troll this morning which i sometimes do and they were kind of on about the police and um i pointed out to them that that the police had facilitated the protest they were up in arms about what we did yesterday and i pointed out the police had facilitated it but also that the police understand what we're doing and that they're quite keen on having a habitable planet for the future too. So, For people who are not in the UK when we're talking about the Met, this is the Metropolitan Police in London who are not quite a law unto themselves, but they certainly interpret the law somewhat differently than police in other areas. And I did hear during the October rebellion that you and I took part in in 2019, they did run out of Met Police and were asking for volunteers who wanted overtime from other parts of the country. And normally, I gather from my, I do have friends in the police, when they offer overtime, they're flooded by people who go, mm. of course, yes. And and they had nobody who volunteered mm. from mm. the other areas to come down and do it, which is good. There's, I think you're right. There are good people 
in every organization. And it does seem to me that the day that the police sit down in the streets with us is the day everything changes. And that has happened in places around the world. It hasn't ever happened in the UK, but it's not an impossible thing to imagine. Yeah. And in that, in October, 2019, I don't, were you there, Mandel, when they put the, the, um, when they told everyone were, they said there was a section 14 on Trafalgar Square and they said that everyone who was there was going to be arrested. And then over 3000 people turned up and, and sat there and there were speeches and stuff. One of the people giving speeches was um, one of the ex commissioners or someone from the Met police. And um, I was, a red rebel that day so I was I was standing up there looking at everybody and and seeing everyone and him standing next to me speaking I was like who who is this person speaking to this is such a a complicated situation because there's lines and lines and lines of police there who've been told to arrest these 3,000 peaceful protesters sitting here and they're being spoken to all of them by one of their ex-bosses how do they actually process that how do they process what do they do now it's um yeah you feel sometimes like there's this knife edge that you're on of like where's this going where's this gonna tip and um yeah yeah i do think there's that possibility brilliant this is feeling more hopeful by the moment so let's return to cornwall and and you have police in every lamppost and they're armed to the teeth, which we are not used to in the UK. And I am in awe of your courage, I have to say, Sophie. I always am. Your your capacity to hold the space as a red rebel, which is transformational. We discussed that in the last podcast. And then the creativity that you bring to this. So how much of what you're going to do, planning to do, are you able to tell us about? Given that this will go out several weeks after the G7 is over? Well, I can I can tell you about it, um, how it's planned to be. Obviously, I can't tell you how it's going to be because there's, there's so many variables. But we've already started, actually. We started um, last Sunday. We had cream tea at Tregenna Castle Hotel with um, the Boris Johnson character and the oilhead character on a, a romantic date together at the Tregenna Castle Hotel where the delegates are staying, hence the relevance of, of going there. And they had oil in teapots and lots of money kind of scattered everywhere and um, were, were cozying up intimately. And um, that went well. The Tregenna Castle Hotel kind of pretended we weren't there. They were kind of horrified (laughs) and then on Saturday just gone we um, had a very early start at um, Marazine Beach we took um, the Boris Johnson character and the oilhead character again to sit in deck chairs while we floated a a small dinghy out onto the water with a sail that read uh, your children's future and we set light to it through using flame bars and um, uh, propane gas. So it was kind of a controlled burn. And um, But we got some really striking visual imagery, which which has, has gone out um, really, really well in the press. And basically, they're just sitting watching our children's future burn. So again, it's that kind of, um, right. it's it's not very subtle messaging. Um, but, uh, but, you know, as Greta Dunberg said, our house is on fire. It's the same messaging as like, yeah, 
you know, everything's going up in flames yes. while you just sit there and watch or pour fuel on it. Uh, the, are the Boris character and the oil character, do they know each other particularly well by now? They, they, well, they know each other very well after yesterday, but we know each other very well anyway because we all work together uh, as Red Rebels. So um, we've right. performed a lot together in the past and we've got a really good team of people who work together really well. So there's that kind of um, incredible element of trust and pulling together and um you know, when you've got a really good team that you can absolutely 100% count on, then things, magic happens, really. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, really, really, really good people. And I kind of imagine that particularly the characters taking on Boris Johnson and Big Oil must be experiencing quite a lot of energetic shift. And I'm remembering our discussion the last time when you were talking about the difference between being a red rebel in the actions and then when you became part of the oil action when you were dressed in black instead of red and it was a different function and that the energetic sense of who you were was completely different and you're not in either of these costumes but I'm wondering are you aware of and perhaps facilitating these people in finding a way of grounding and a way of returning to a sense of being that is separate from the characters that they're playing. Does that make sense as a question and a concept? It does absolutely make sense, Amanda. And um, I think the, the people who played them, we've actually had two Borises so far. Teresa, who played him the first few times, said um, it was quite an unpleasant person to inhabit. That was her mm. um her description but all the performers are so experienced as um doing red rebels and oil slick that they 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 do that for themselves so um because it's so integral to what we do anyway as performers it's um yeah it's second nature okay so yeah it's but it's a really important thing um getting into the performance and moving through it and then coming out of the performance again and i'm wondering you said that Getty was there when when you had this, uh, whatever we're going to call it, on the beach between Boris and Big Oil. And I don't watch our standard media anymore. Has the BBC taken it up, Channel 4, Sky, ITV? Has anybody in the main media got to it? Wow. Strangely, um, we had Good Morning Britain oh. on the beach with us yesterday morning. So, um, yeah, I did an interview with Good Morning Britain and they um, they filmed it too. So, yeah, they were... Did they broadcast it? They broadcast it, yeah. They didn't censor it? They didn't broadcast the whole okay. thing. So they, they didn't have, um, have the money shots. <laughs> no, but they did... They had the kind of the earlier stuff that was the, that was part of the reason for the structure of the performance, sitting and cozying up with a cup of tea first, oh, okay. um, and then they filmed later afterwards when they were both sort of lying in bed covered in oil with money stuck all over them, and okay. uh, so they and um, they kind of they alluded to what had happened and and right. yeah. spoke about they've, they've it. They've got as well. an under. I mean, they've got a family audience at that time in the morning. That seems fair. They enough. do absolutely, yeah. Um, but it was. It was, yeah, it was good. Yeah, and the local paper printed everything. Yeah, which is great, but not many people are going to read whatever is the St. Ives Herald or whatever, whereas quite a lot of people watch Good Good Morning Britain. Yeah. It's it's very good that the local paper did because local papers have a tendency to be further to the right than the Mail and the Telegraph put together. But yeah. 
But in order to get national and international reach, we would need the Mail or the Telegraph or the broadcast media. It feels here as well as if something has shifted within certainly the UK media since 2019 when we sat outside the BBC and they resolutely ignored the fact that we were there. Does that feel also to you as if things have changed? Yeah, I think it's coming down from my experience, it's coming down to individual journalists because I do a lot of the the press for Ocean Rebellion and um, doing the press, I, I don't have press training um but i it's basically to me it seems like building personal relationships with people and communicating with people um what we're doing so talking to journalists and as individuals lots of them want to use their position to get the message out there it's like i i do Mm. what i do and i bring my gifts to the work that i feel that i have to do and um they sort of feel, some of them, like they they have this work which they've been either called to do or they've gone to college and studied or whatever, but it's what they do and they have their their part to play in the climate um, crisis and raising awareness of what is happening. So, And they, they have a, a really powerful position. I spoke to a Sun journalist, um, must be getting on for um, nearly a year ago now, it was when we set up Ocean Rebellion, when we launched with our first action which was projecting onto um, a luxury yacht um, called The World, which was moored up in Falmouth Harbour, where these super rich people basically sort of buy, uh, rent apartments on it and cruise the world, burning huge emissions. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, And like something out of a dystopian fiction novel, when you you actually look at it, you're like, oh my God, does that actually happen? Yep, it does. But anyway, um, I spoke to a, a journalist in The Sun about it and she said that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't cover it because their readership wasn't, it wasn't appropriate to their readership. So she didn't think it would get through and they have their target market. And I said, well, I understand that you don't want to cover this, but but don't you feel that you've got a a role to play in in changing things? So if you if you show things like this with your angle on it, you can you can actually sort of educate people and teach people and show people how things can be different. And um, yeah, it was one of those conversations that you have where you feel like you may be burning all your bridges, but it, it sort of doesn't matter. And then not long after that, the sun did their whole. They went green for the week. I think, and they they had like the sun written in green, and they did lots of environmental things about recycling your plastics and stuff like that, which is minimal, but it's still a step in the right direction. And I think it's having those conversations yes. helps. And I think that um, lots of journalists do embrace that now and do realise that that they can change things. They're in a really powerful position. I've always felt that there's, there's different kinds of actions that we do. Um, some actions it doesn't matter who sees them and they can be incredibly small and um it's more about shifting energy um so like last year um a group of red rebels we we um costumed up and we went to a sacred site in cornwall and we we only had we had one photographer with us who we work with quite a lot um he's actually he works for getty but we work with him a lot and he really understands what we do and he he said afterwards you know thank you he felt incredibly privileged to be able to bear witness to what what we've done but that wasn't a kind of a big outreach thing it didn't need amplifying it was tiny 
in some ways, but huge in other ways because we were, it was about shifting energy. Right. Uh, and then there's other actions where we only have a very few people there doing a performance, but what matters is that the media catches it and the media picks up on it and that it gets amplified across the mm. world. And um, that's like having a, a big megaphone, yeah. really. And without that, then we don't reach the people and our messaging doesn't get out there. Yes. And your messaging clearly is getting out there. That's the astonishing thing. Your your reach is growing, I imagine. It feels to me as if it's growing. Are you getting requests for interviews or or pictures or any of your outreach from a more international market now than you were, say, two years ago? Yes, definitely. We also, uh, we had before the local police got in touch with us to to kind of be all helpful, we had a, an interesting experience where we had a police raid from a team of police in who'd come down from Exeter. Um, so the 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 boat that I live on and um, the land that I live on part time, kind of between the two, my partners, um, they we had eight police came to the boatyard and eight police came to the land where I was and. Um, at the same time in in cars yeah it was quite quite surprising and they didn't phone first to say could we come round for a chat or anything like that they just turned up no they don't do they but they said they just wanted a chat um obviously i didn't have a chat with them i just got their details yeah so it was very 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 heavy-handed considering at the time we were just making like a wobbly greenwash machine and things like that it wasn't we were not doing anything more exciting or true. what is a wobbly greenwash machine just so we can build a picture in our heads just so you know so um the science museum have got an exhibition at the moment that yes. is um about climate change sponsored by shell yes. and um yeah i know uh, a few weeks ago we went up with a group of uh, a performance group that we do called the dirty scrubbers who are kind of like cleaning people and um, we're very kind of mouthy gobby headscarves and rollers and um, one of the things we took up with us was a, a greenwash uh, applying machine to put greenwash all over the front of the science museum and all over shell so we were we were making that so it has switches and things on it so when you turn it on it starts going vibrating and wobbling around a lot and making a lot of noise it had sirens and things on it so we were building the machine for that right wow yeah so the police came and um really too heavy-handed i mean it was it was just totally unnecessary and um we called the we made a, an official complaint to the police and um let some journalists know what had happened and that snowballed so since then there had there's been a lot of media interest in hmm. what we've been doing and that was why the local police got in touch because I think they were a bit embarrassed about it. Also there would be the usual Devon-Cornwall rivalry and what the heck are Devon doing sending their police into Cornwall? Probably, I mean 16 police is is half of the Devon police. Right, yeah it's a thing called Project Servitor that some kind of, it, I don't know, it sounds horribly let's give it a particularly nasty name yeah. and then we can all run around pretending we're important yeah i know Gosh. um yeah so lots of media interest and we've got 
journalists in France who've been really interested in what we've been doing in Ocean Rebellion. We had a piece in Elle magazine in France about Ocean Rebellion. Um, had a, someone contact me yesterday from the Washington Post and yes. trying to make it as global as possible because for Ocean Rebellion, it's we're obviously in the UK, but the the waters of the world touch everyone. So it needs to be global and it needs to go out for everyone. And also uh, the issues that we're dealing with are, are entirely global. Tell us a bit more then about Ocean Rebellion, because that was just beginning to take off when we last spoke. Yeah. So um, Ocean Rebellion, we set up as a, a sister organisation to Extinction Rebellion. Um, I'm one of the co-founders. There's four of us. And um, we felt that such a, a huge issue like it wasn't something which we could shoehorn into extinction rebellion and just tag it on it needs its own um mouthpiece really um i mean the oceans cover a huge amount of the planet more than the earth so it makes sense we've got our own set of demands um extinction rebellion has their set we've got our set that are tell the truth about the destruction of the oceans act now to reverse the drivers of warming, ocean acidification, sea level rises and ecological collapse by 2025. So similar to Extinction Rebellion and take control. So the United Nations is to govern our common ocean heritage for the benefit of humankind, Mm. especially indigenous coastal communities and not for the benefit of industry or finance. Whereas at the moment, most of it is for the benefit of industry or finance. Yeah, we've our campaigns are, have been largely focused on um, cruise ships and shipping. And um, now we're moving more into fishing. We take a lot of advice from NGOs and um, scientists because it's such a huge subject. I don't know. We can't be experts on it. And it's important to listen to the experts. And in doing that, we can also find out where we can target that will actually make a difference. So what the message needs to be, how we can kind of create a change. So in I think it was October or November, there was a, um, a meeting at the IMO. Lots of people don't don't know that there's a, a thing called the IMO. Um, I certainly didn't. It's the International Maritime Organization and its headquarters are in London. And it's basically the United Nations for for shipping for the sea. Didn't I didn't even know it was there. So we've got this this building there where people meet and make these huge decisions that affect the ocean. So we've 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 protested outside there a few times, and um, targeted conferences which they've been having in there with very 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 specific messaging, even detailing papers that they've been talking about in our messaging to really apply the right kind of pressure. And um, we went and projected. Um, very targeted slogans onto the French embassy because um, France is the way France voted when they were in there would have an impact on other people. Other nations would go the same way that France went. So if they made the right choice, then other people would make the right choice. So really trying to make change happen in a, um, what to some people would be a very overt way, but a lot of people wouldn't even recognize it. So yeah, trying to, um, trying to find those sort of keys that you can open the door with and go through. And Did it work? I don't think so, no. And the paper went through its first um, first stage, but it 
projects. Um, it's all it's all a journey, but we're doing the same now with uh, with fishing, okay. trying to find out what the best thing to do is. And um, yeah, it's basically we need to have a we're, we're calling for a global ban on bottom trawling, which is um, bottom trawling releases huge amounts of of carbon. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy it's actually more than global aviation all global aviation put together yeah because they just drag these huge things across the seafloor really turn it all up and, and release all the carbon so yes and, and kill everything in the process and kill everything in the process and if if anyone listening hasn't yet seen sea spiracy mm. the film it's a, a netflix film I'd, I'd suggest watching it it's very upsetting i cried well, yes watch it when you're feeling resilient but it's worth watching. And um, one of the things that we struggle with with Ocean Rebellion is is getting people to connect to the, the sea, right. getting people to to make that um, sort of, I don't know, for me it's a heart connection, yeah. but make that connection to realise that that it's it's part of everything. People see it as it, people do that othering thing of like, oh, it's, it's over there, it's somewhere that we visit, we paddle, we cover ourselves in sun cream, we get in it, the sun cream washes off, we have an ice cream and we go home. And um, they don't realise that the weather is made at sea. It's our life support system. Without it, we're 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 goners. So um, yeah, it's it's. I think Sea Spiracy has done a lot to make people realise that that they need to connect to the sea. Yes, I'd love to put you in touch with Glenn Edney, who was a guest on the podcast right at the beginning of the year, because his book, what he's done is effectively to bring the Gaia hypothesis to the oceans. And for him, the oceans are alive. In fact, that's the name of the book, The Ocean is Alive. I hadn't understood the urgency. He, as far as he's concerned, the oceans will be dead by 2040 if we don't act soon. Yeah. And that's yes, just around the corner. But also the yeah. extent to which the life in the oceans isn't just their happily living on its own. As you said, the weather is created in the oceans, but things like sperm whale dive deep, 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 deep down, scoop things up from the ocean floor, bring them up to the surface and spit them out. And in doing so, are part of the system that creates the cycling currents that then create things like the Gulf Stream. Absolutely. Our weather system yeah. will change totally yeah. if we don't have life in the oceans. Yeah. And if people understood even that, I can totally hear we want people to have a heart connection to the oceans. But for those who are disconnected enough that heart connections are hard, just self-interest should be enough to get people to realise that we need it. Absolutely. Hence the banner, Our Children's Future, because, you know, it's it's huge but often sort of hitting people with things like that is makes them have some kind of um, self-interest for the future. And with our fishing campaign, we're going for a lot of stickering, which is um, communicating health issues about fishing, right. all the mercury and toxins and microplastics and things in fish. So eat, you know, we've got eat me and you're eating, I don't know, a whole list of, of horrors that, that are in them. So so it's a, a bigger campaign and it, it involves you know, actually – stopping the carbon coming out of the sea and and actually turning it into something which we protect but people are probably more likely to respond if they think that it's going to make them poorly or whatever it's that kind of self-interest thing which if it works 
Yes, let's not argue with that's it. That's okay. I'm down with it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with it. It's it's good if it if it achieves what we need it to achieve. And then maybe they start questioning things and then that will lead some people into a greater knowledge because they'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Really? Mm. And um, yeah. And then that ripples out from them. So it's all about creating those ripples. Yes. And have you been contacted by anyone from within the International Maritime Organization? Have they acknowledged your existence and endeavoured to connect in any way, or are they just busy putting their fingers in the ears and shouting bah? Not personally. I, we, we, we are always trying to reach out, though, to people um, higher up. I've had a meeting with, um, gosh, it was ages ago, and I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been someone in the United Nations or, or something. But um, we, we are always trying to to reach out to, to people to to communicate and um, to see what what we can all do together. Yes, I will also send you a copy of Scylla Elworthy's book, Pioneering the Possible. And she was a really interesting woman who set up something that she called the Oxford Research Centre, which of course sounds like it might be something to do with the university that we all know. And actually just was a group of people meeting around her kitchen table. And their aim was to stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And she details how they realised that their tactic in those days, this is a long time ago, of writing letters to MPs explaining how bad nuclear weapons were, was not working. But what they did instead was researched everything about the particular people who had the power to make change, from the names of their kids, to where they lived, to what they read, to what they did, and started writing them the kinds of letters that engaged with them. Then they published a book that had all these details in, which they were immediately told they had to remove from all publication because it was too detailed and and not safe. But they ended up creating a meeting somewhere in Oxford in some ancient baronial hall and inviting people from each of the five nuclear powers. And she tells of a particular instance where they had the American general who one assumes is quite a hardcore Republican. And he's in the the beautiful Tudor hall of this room and he's enthusing to her about this amazing place and, and the atmosphere. And she's going, well, yes, you know, built built in 1500 and something or other. And and he's going, yeah, but the atmosphere. And she's going, well, you know, big panelled walls. And he goes, no, no, I think there's something more. And she said, well, that would be the people meditating in the library downstairs. And she watched the barriers come down in his eyes because meditation was way off his scale of of acceptability. And she said she had a a very finite moment to make a difference. And she said, do you remember the old man with the silver hair who served you soup at dinner last night? And he had to stop and think and go back instead of going into his panic place. And he did remember. And she said, well, he thought it might be useful for everybody if he and a few friends were to meditate in the library and the fact that she had personalized it made it okay okay and as a result they got a treaty banning the proliferation of nuclear weapons wow and it sounds like this is what you are doing you are reaching people at every level and it's so much more complex now than it was back in the 70s or whenever mm. she was doing this but it does sound to me as if that's where you're heading so as we wind towards our time now and we are going to come back and explore how things went. Tell us what you have planned for the G7. So um, tomorrow morning at sunrise, we are having a mass stranding of mermaids on the beach in St. Ives. We've got 10 
mermaids wearing um, their, we've made tails out of sea waste and um, headdresses and will be all made up and tangled up in fishing nets uh, like happens to um, sea creatures sadly and we are also taking our foghorn dinghy down there as well which is a beautiful viking ship with foghorns on it on wheels that we're going to take down there and we will be sounding the alarm at dawn as the sun comes up <laughs> just outside the hotel where they're all staying it's pointing towards the hotel so the foghorns will be going they'll, hear it. they'll hear it yeah definitely yes. and um we'll we'll keep sounding an sos for some time um towards them so that will be going on first thing tomorrow morning and then at half past nine we're taking the dinghy up to the island in St Ives which is a, a little bit of land between the two beaches and again you can see the hotel from it so half past nine at night we're taking the dinghy up to there with a sail which says as the seas die we die right. and um Boris Johnson and the oil head will be burning the sail on that boat and um then on that's friday and then on saturday we're heading over to falmouth and we have a flotilla of boats at half past eight and then we are taking our boat to go and project onto the police uh, cruise ship right we've got some um key messages that we're we're putting out onto that i'll cheer them up eh? it'll be disappointing if we didn't um and then on sun and then we're not we're not quite sure what we're going to do on sunday we've got we're going to see how see how tomorrow and um, and Saturday goes. Um, I know there's a mass disobedience planned on the beach in St Ives, but I think we might do something because the International Maritime Organization are um, meeting um, on Monday. I think we might do something which targets targets their meeting are they meeting in Cornwall are they meeting as a follow-on to the G7 no they're meeting in London okay. so it's it's something which might go under the radar um hidden by everything oh, which right. is going on in the G7 but they they've got quite an important meeting to discuss um uh, shipping emissions and um the levels which are permitted they the paper which has been going through has basically allowed for unrestricted emissions so it would be like having a if it was the equivalent on cars it would be kind of like removing MOTs or still having MOTs but they're optional and um, if your emissions are a bit too much on the MOT they'll say your emissions are a bit too much but do what you want about it or you don't have to do anything if you don't want to so um, yeah yeah I know wow for people who are not familiar with XR you might have to explain what discobedience is so discobedience is a lot of people dancing to staying alive by the Bee Gees and um, there's uh, different moves like this is kind of like a set dance and everybody does it together I have, I have watched the practice <laughs> it's quite silly it is it is but it looks like everyone it's this amazing vision of maybe it's all the people around here that join XR but mostly white-haired retirees generally yeah you know they've been quite professional in their in their lives before they retired all dancing to staying alive it's yeah. It's a fascinating thing to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I've done it. It's very fun. Are you taking part or are you going to be doing you'll be probably on the not. Ship I'll probably Yeah, I'll probably be being slightly more serious and doing IMO stuff. But I have done disobedience and I did it last New Year's Day and oh, wow. um had a had a real giggle. It was really funny. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So we have run out of time, which is incredibly sad because it feels like there's so much richness. But what I would really like to do is to invite you back for 
the How Did It Go? I'd love to come, Amanda. It'd be great to talk about it. Find out what happened and and to see what the impact has been around the world and whether we feel there have been changes in everybody's behaviour. So uh, with that in mind, Sophie Miller, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for everything that you're doing. I genuinely am in awe of your courage and your commitment and your integrity and your understanding of the energetic waves that arise as a result of the actions that we take. You are just such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. It's been lovely to talk to you as always. So that's it for Sophie and the G7 and Ocean Rebellion and all of the astonishing work that she is doing. And we will definitely be back to find out what happened. With that, with the International Maritime Organization and with everything that she has planned. So in the meantime, huge thanks to Sophie for the spirit and the courage. I know I've said this before, I know I said it in the podcast and I said it in the intro, but I am absolutely in awe of the passion that she brings to this and the amount of effort and creativity and working through the day making mermaid tales and then getting up at four o'clock in the morning to talk to Good Morning Britain that she brings to this. She is genuinely an inspiration. And it doesn't take each of us going to a beach at four o'clock in the morning to make the world different. But it does take each of us taking inspiration from this and then learning what we can learn of the things that touch us and holding the conversations that need to be held with everybody. Because now is the time and we are the people. So go out there, people. Learn what you need to learn and hold the conversations that need to be held. And if you know of anybody else that would like to be part of the generative dance of the world, please do send them this link or point them in the direction of the website accidentalgods.life. As we close, thanks to Caro C for the editing, for the production, for the music that starts and finishes the podcast. Thanks to Faith Tillery for the website and all of the tech. And thank you to you for listening. That's it. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.